Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with the news. In a shocking twist, phone calls were responsible for the most recent apocalyptic event in Dairy. Thankfully, the crisis ended early as no one answers their cell phone anymore. I'll tell you what I told HR three years ago. No power on this earth could make me answer a phone call from Josh. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are continuing our Patreon selection series by covering the film Cell, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Before we begin, just a little bit of background about the movie. It was optioned like immediately, I think in 2006 when it was published, but it didn't get filmed until 2013 and didn't get released until 2016. And it was supposed to originally be directed by Eli Roth, who Mm -hmm. seemed to have a pretty cool idea about the direction that he wanted to take this movie in. Yeah. But he dropped out because... It, it had been too long, and I, I guess by the time they were going to film, mm-hmm. he was working on his own stuff and decided he liked his own stuff, doing his own stuff better. Was the direction a comedy? <laughs> no, it was supposed to be, uh, according to IMDb's trivia, it, it was supposed to be like a worldwide look at what happens after the pulse. Interesting. Instead of focusing mm-hmm. on our main characters, it would jump around the world to see the effects of this uh, event, which... Would not have been the movie, right? Or, yeah, well, it wouldn't have been, been the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is that I, a good idea cool. because you—that's how you should adapt that kind of book. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so, it's so personal and so mm. character driven, and we don't really get that, of course, because we don't have <laughs> all those monologues. Okay, so before we get into the plot, though, or the differences, I guess, because we already know the plot. It was directed by Todd Williams. He directed a handful of movies, including, I'm just mentioning the ones that sound familiar to me that I think maybe our listeners will know, Paranormal Activity 2. Sure. Which is apparently the good one. I've never it seen good. it. It is good. I like the Paranormal okay. Activity movies. It stars John Cusack as Clay, Samuel L. Jackson as Tom, Isabella Furman as Alice, and Owen Teague, our favorite Harold, not to disparage the other Harold, because he was awesome too, but he plays Jordan, and... It was co co-wrote by Stephen King and Adam Alecka. Alecha? Sure. Uh, yeah, he did the screenplay. That guy also did The Last House on the Left and some other things. Cool. The original or the remake? Probably the remake. The remake. Okay. Yeah. It grossed $1.3 million at the box office. Which is very <laughs> little. <laughs> very low. That's so, That's so low. I was trying my best to Google how much this movie costs to make. I couldn't find that. Did you find it? It can't be a lot. (laughs) I think the amount is so low that they're just like, don't put it on the internet. It's it's the main problem with this movie. Uh, I've watched this movie before, and I remember fucking hating it. I liked it more than I remembered. (laughs) But it still looks like straight-up sci-fi original movie. And... (laughs) Which is near and dear to my heart. Like, (laughs) I I won't, you know, bat an eye at that. But I was very thrown off and very scared for how 
the next 90 minutes or however long it is we're going to go because this has to be a mistake, you guys. The opening credits, <laughs> all of the text is in randomly placed, random sized black boxes, sometimes over the faces of people that are the focal point of the shot for that scene. It, it's like they forgot to make the text box transparent and no, they just had it, it filled that, in black. That is 1000% not what happened. It is a so obviously a deliberate attempt to obscure how shitty the opening credits because <laughs> it, it is just, just attention to it though it, it does it is not effective <laughs> in the least but yeah the opening credits are just random shots of people in an airport which isn't exciting <laughs> and there's no music playing which is weird that was a baffling choice okay i'm confused though because this opens in an airport Mm -hmm. so they had people in an airport why didn't they just film them for the because you have you have to pay extras that's true you do legally i'm just very upset by these (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was man and the the no music thing actually bothered me more than i thought it would i even i would have accepted if they had done like a cacophony of like ringtones or something would you have been happy into that a little if the music was the music from the play menu (laughs) the music from the dvd play menu is great (laughs) (laughs) okay well it starts off rough with that baffling choice but then it kind of comes back around pretty quickly clay is in the airport this is where this all goes down and i think that airport scene cgi aside <laughs> yes is very tense and action-packed and clips right along what was your guys's favorite parts the airport massacre is rad i'm really glad we got the the callback to the shitty paperweight even though he mm-hmm. doesn't draw any attention to it and when he uses it to fight off a guy who's attacking girl and i get it he's punching a woman to death He's like, hey, get off her. No pause. Full <laughs> swing. Cracks the back of his skull. Away. Not only does he just, it's so casual, but John Cusack through that this entire movie is not bothering. He is, he is asleep. <laughs> he is there for a paycheck, and that is it, a very yes. small paycheck, I would assume. <laughs> All of the, the budget in this movie went to John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, ironically... Like, he is phoning it in. <laughs> <laughs> the only the only scene, and we'll get to it later, when he in the tavern is mm-hmm. the only time where I was like, God, John Cusack's acting his ass off right mm-hmm. now. Wait, is this when they're all drunk? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to you two and asked, what the hell is going on? Okay. When he's talking to Alice. As as we go through this, I'm going to present my notes the way they are. <laughs> so that we can see how confused I was for some scenes. <laughs> okay, so he's in the airport and he's trying to call Johnny and his wife. And he's being really weird about coming home. And, mm-hmm. and you get that he's been gone a long time. He's been gone like a year. And... She's worried that he's with somebody, but he's not. So you can see her relief. And then he's talking to his son, and all of a sudden, 
his phone dies. I love this choice. Mm-hmm. This was the first thing, because going into this, I fucking didn't want to watch this movie again. But <laughs> this, I was like, okay, having just finished the book, this is, I don't know, I, I liked it more. It, it I found was, it more enjoyable. Yeah, it was right to modernize the phone stuff for yes. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank God. <laughs> uh, but I loved the, this choice of literally right before the pulse happens right before he's on the phone Mm -hmm. with his family. He is the reason like, think about his phone dies. He goes, ah shit. So he goes to a pay phone and he talks to them for a little more. And then the phone, he runs out of money and puts it down. And as he's paying into it, the pulse happens. What do you think his fam, his wife was doing? At yeah, that he, moment. It is his fault. Not, when, I mean, I'm purposely. Yeah, when you, you know, you someone, yeah, you lose a connection. What do you do? Yeah, you call, call them back. back. It is a book clay move mm-hmm. to kill his <laughs> wife with a pulse. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, and uh, I was like, that's such a cool mm-hmm. choice. It, like, adds so much tension. It'll add, like, this guilt he has that, like, oh, he doesn't, he's not sure if they're alive because he was, they were talking on the phone. It's never mentioned again (laughs) in the movie. (laughs) It is uh, not important at all. I imagine maybe they wanted him to talk about it and John Cusack, the actor, is just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, the audience gets it. Yes, let's blame all the problems of this movie on John Cusack. Oh, I wouldn't do that. So Clay... I almost said ghost downstairs. He, he goes <laughs> yep. into the airport basement where there are trains. I don't know. <laughs> we don't live in a big city. The tram terminal. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, he goes down to the tram terminal, and that's where he meets, not Samuel Jackson, Tom. I kept writing oh, Samuel I, Jackson. <laughs> well, it's, no, and more importantly, he meets DJ Liquid. Oh, no. Okay, so he he meets Tom, and his, his trip, to the train is nuts. He has to wade through a, a mini sea of phoners who are just like writhing and being weird on the floor. And they're making strange phone noises out of their mouths, which is a cool way, I guess, to to show visually mm-hmm. what's happening. And he's pulled into this train. He's saved by these guys. DJ Liquid, who's and not. Dude in a Ed Hardy t-shirt that decides to tag along. Were you guys excited for the adventures of TJ Liquid? <laughs> I was kind of hoping you'd stick around for a little bit. No, I was <laughs> relieved when he got an axe to the chest. <laughs> but it is the it's because of DJ Liquid, the only time we ever address that uh, Tom is gay. It's the only time it's ever brought up as a, a character it, moment. It is so fast I missed it. Yeah. I, I yeah. had to be I had to trust you because you were the only <laughs> one that heard it. <laughs> Yeah, he just says, DJ Liquid says, you know, I got to call my boo. And Samuel Jackson makes fun of him. And he's like, what, you don't have anybody to call? And he's like, my man left me a month ago. (laughs) (laughs) Samuel Jackson plays Tom pretty cool. I was shocked. He's a badass. (laughs) I mean, I should have known. Like, he's going to, yeah. If there's going to be a movie and Samuel Jackson, even if it's a bad movie, he's going to carry it. Like, Mm. and he did. Mm-hmm. For sure. He has all of the really cool, like he he's good at everything. He has all these great ideas. He just thinks fast on his feet mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing. And he John- was in the army. He mentions mm-hmm. he was in basic training. So he knows guns. He knows guns so well that at one point he shoots a hunting rifle with a uh, burst fire. It's <laughs> <laughs> very confusing. That was hilarious. So we do not get our hotel scene with 
Mr. Riccardi. I keep wanting to call him Mr. Moriarty. <laughs> no idea why. Instead, Tom and Clay go to his temporary apartment. In this timeline of the movie, he has moved into a place in the city and it's covered wall to wall with his drawings like a crazy he person. Looks like a serial killer. Yes. Until you realize the it's his drawings. It's his work. Mm. It's still a little crazy. Yeah. Oh, mostly to point out that if you, I get, if you're an artist and you have just drawings on paper, not framed in anything, you have them taped on your wall. The one room in your house you don't tape up paper is the bathroom. <laughs> and when Alice goes into the bathroom, there are taped up <laughs> drawings in the bathroom, too. And she chose to be there. She she comes knocking. She's covered in blood with a knife and has uh, some dialogue from the book, similar, about mm. killing her mom. And he lets her take a shower and then they go through the conversation about that they're flocking and all of that and what they should do. And Clay wants them. Illustrating the flocking was cool. Mm -hmm. It actually, yeah, it looks so much more um, unnatural and unintimidating. Yeah. In the book, like imagining it, I didn't think of how people don't move like that. (laughs) You know? What did you guys think of their trek the next day out of the city? Mostly, I just thought about how it was the middle of the day because they couldn't afford to film <laughs> That's most what of this I movie too. at night. <laughs> I, I really liked the part with the people on the motorcycle who just blindly uh, charge into a huge... Do you think that was supposed to represent the sprinters? I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we didn't get any... Um, we get very few other people. Yeah. You don't get the scenes of them like walking, just like migrating themselves and all the people they meet on the road. So I I was thinking about that too. And there's a lot of that missing. Obviously, it's not all going to be there for the movie, but it made me feel like everyone involved in the movie in any capacity, everyone was just like, let's just do this. Let's just get through it. Come on, let's go. (laughs) And And not just even saying it was that bad like that, but it. It didn't feel like the movie was trying to connect mm. with the audience for me at all. I completely agree. Okay. There's a lot of mumbled lines that's like you couldn't have got a better take than that. Weird editing. Weird editing. Poor <laughs> editing choices. It, it became very clear a few times that Stephen King wrote the screenplay for this, at least co-wrote it, because You have that problem where, because you're the author, you know the story. Mm -hmm. So the parts that are in your brain that you know how things panned out might not necessarily make it to. We're condensing the story, which they did a great job of condensing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it was he knew the background. So he thought, all right, we can move. We don't have to show any of this because we'll show it this way. And it just didn't connect to viewers the way it was intended mm-hmm. i do really love the great moment when they find the the house with the not copywritten nra logo <laughs> out it, and they decide to go in and get some guns and samuel jackson's like i'm one black man walking up with a crowbar i'm not going anywhere and john cusack's solution is to trade him weapons giving him a baseball bat <laughs> instead and then Alice walks up and trades him weapons again, so he has a tiny tire iron. The Samuel L. Jackson's oh. couple of moments. Mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson has the funniest moments of the movie and sells them so well <laughs> in the 
I think the low budget and general shittiness of the movie actually might help that because he's <laughs> he's just obviously like ah whatever. Yeah. If you told me that scene was improvised, I'd believe it. hundred <laughs> percent. And the scene later on in the bar when the lady <laughs> this is way <laughs> ahead, but I'll just say they find a bar with some people in it, and there's a lady that when they enter, she calls them all cute. It's very strange. She's a horny old lady. Yeah, just a horny old lady that calls everyone cute. She points at Samuel Jackson like, you, you're really cute. And the look he gives, he doesn't say anything. It is just a Samuel L. Jackson, don't talk to me anymore look. That's so great. I would, even if I was in a scene and with that look, I would piss myself. (laughs) I also liked some of the other stuff they did with the cell phones. Uh, he, Tom has a cell phone and it's it's still working. So they put it in the freezer and later it starts ringing. And they're both, they're sitting at Clay's table and they just look at the freezer door. Yeah, I thought that, that was, was pretty cool. Because he texts his wife on Tom's phone and just gets back a, a drunk text, basically. <laughs> just nonsense. It's complete just gibberish. gibberish. I also really like the stuff in the house when they get the guns. They find the family and it's it's gruesome. And what is even more interesting and terrifying is when they go outside and there's a little boy sitting on a swing with a dog in his lap. And for some reason, they think they need to see if he's okay. He's clearly a phoner. <laughs> yeah. Well, they haven't seen anybody exhibit. That's that's something that's normal-ish, swinging on a swing set, petting a dog. That's the first time we see that they weren't necessarily all batshit insane until they notice mm-hmm. someone. So they have the reasonable response of shooting this kid as soon as he turns around and it's clear he's a phoner. With a hatchet coming at them. He had an axe in his other hand. I'm not not (laughs) saying they should Given last episode, I feel like I need to preemptively be on this. I wasn't being sarcastic when I said they reasonably shoot him. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, just not even like a jump scare, but very casually, which made it even more scary. Other phoners just step out from behind the trees. And then now we have a chase. What do you guys think of the chase scene? It was really cool. It gave me real 28 Days Later vibes. Yeah. I was into that. I, I found the chase scenes the least interesting part of this movie. Yeah. Um, Even the guy who broke his leg falling down? Okay. That was, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, they're, they're sprinting through the forest. And there's this really cool, the most realistic thing that happens is a phoner trips over a branch. And when he gets up, his leg is just like broken in three places. And he just like scrabbles to get up and still chase them. That was very mm-hmm. cool. The The part where they would just like periodically stop and turn around and just kind of like shoot guns off screen. Yeah. It's very Tomb Raider. I didn't like <laughs> yeah. that. That was less good. But it was cool because I, I've, I just read this, but I also wasn't thinking about Nightfall and them walking away. Mm-hmm. So when they hide under a boat, very strangely, and John Cusack looks like he's going to shoot his gun inside the <laughs> boat. And then we see sunset and they all turn and they start walking away randomly but by the end they have their eyes closed and they have one hand on the shoulder of the person in front of them leading the most depressed conga line i've ever seen it reminded me of how i walk through a haunted house (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get that head down eyes closed just grabbing the shoulder of the person in front of me 
And very quickly, in movie time, we are at Gaten Academy and we meet Charles Ardai, the head, and Jordan. Played by Stacey Keach. I was he's, so excited about that. Yeah, he's in this movie for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Stacy Keach is a very scary man. He does a good job, but I just imagine Ardai is so much friendlier. Yes. Yeah, me like, too. I, I love that like wacky Professor King character, mm-hmm. and Stacy Keach is not that. <laughs> no, he, he stabs not. a man in the leg with his cane. He also has this line when when they're about to. Okay, so first we see the soccer field. Super effective visually. That was very cool. Very, very disturbing. And then very, very quickly, too, they don't hardly spend any time at Gaten Academy. He's like, hey, we should do this. He stabs the phoner in the leg to illustrate that they're kind of helpless in this state and explains what they need to do. Clay and Tom drive this truck into the field over bodies, just spraying While just (laughs) casually drinking out of a decanter of whiskey. I get that. If you're going to run over a bunch of people, like phoners or not, you'd have to be drunk. That would just be so disturbing. This scene is the first scene in the movie that kind of supports our this is a comedy uh, (laughs) theorem. Because, yeah, the the just casual two dudes doing a blue collar job vibe <laughs> between John Cusack and Samuel Jackson. They're like driving open uh, over literally piled corpses. Like they're all laying on top of each other and they're just driving over it, passing this whiskey bottle back and forth. And Samuel Jackson's like, you gotta put it in lower gear, man. You gotta put it in lower gear. You're getting caught up in suit. John Cusack's like, yeah, I'm stuck on a skull. <laughs> it's so dark and great. And it ends with the, you know, you're probably over the legal limit after all that. <laughs> yeah, but next to mass murder, I don't think it's that bad. The head is the one to light the tennis ball on fire and shoot that into the field. He has this line that made me think about our argument, mm-hmm. our, argument yes. our discussion last episode, because he's talking about how it, it's a very like, can't mm. fight progress no matter how hard I try. I guess I can do what I can. Yeah, it, they it say was, you it can't very, fight progress, but you can have fun trying, I believe, is the yeah. It was, it kind of pulled in the more, I felt, technophobic element of the mm-hmm. book that Absolutely. the movie does not have otherwise. Yes. And it's very, I don't know, maybe it's because it's coming from a very intimidating yeah, I didn't uh, like Stacy <laughs> Keach with a flaming arrow, but it is menacing. And it fits with the ending, which we'll get to. Yeah. Because he, he's very clearly like, they say in a, in this conversation, this might be the next step of human evolution mm-hmm. and touches on our discussion of is this is them taking over a bad thing because, mm-hmm. you know, no free will, no freedom, no conflict, no war. If everyone is everyone. Do humans deserve to have free will if we're just being so fucking shitty with it. <laughs> this is suddenly a very different podcast. <laughs> okay, <let's... laughs> okay, so he for his uh for his troubles, the truck explodes like it does in the book and they're not expecting that and he gets impaled with a car part. Very cool. It, yeah, just like it looks like well, a whole friggin' looks drive like a shaft or something. Do you, yeah. yeah. Do you think because Stacy Keach played him they knew that we wouldn't buy oh. the raggedy man making him s- commit suicide <laughs> oh he's so they too had, tough yeah they had to 
impale him with the yeah. car part. It's yeah. too much of a hard ass. If anyone on set was like, you're changing the script for me, it wasn't John Cusack. <laughs> it was Stacey Keach. I'm not killing myself. Fuck you. Well, and I, I'm glad that they got rid of that because they really got rid of the mm-hmm. stadium dream. They still did dreams mm-hmm. to hilarious follow through, but I like it. <laughs> but getting rid of the being stood on stage and declared mm-hmm. insane, mm-hmm. they let all that go. So it was right to just kill the head and move on. And they, they have a line where they're like, oh, do you feel that? We feel their rage. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of representing that. And there, there was no confrontation with the Raggedy Man, which I was like, okay. Is, sorry, is he sorry, who? This? Oh, I'm sorry, the president of the internet, <laughs> as he is known in this movie. But, also very funny. Oh, good. But we do get a dream shortly after that. They're in a, they walk to a drive-in movie yeah, theater. and There's and, a sequence after Stacey Keach dies, it like fades oh, out. The preaching. And it's, <laughs> it's Samuel L. Jackson reading the Bible verse from the book. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a cool touch. They actually like Yeah, have this they're doing the voiceovers, moment, they're showing them. But as it's showing this, they're walking through a drive-through movie theater in the middle of the day. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess... Art, I always loved the drive through. <laughs> Let's bury him there. But we don't see them trying to bury him or anything. It's just Tom in this, the lobby of this drive through reciting a Bible verse well, for some reason. Everyone else is trying to sleep. Yes. It was not a voiceover. <laughs> it was not a, a you know, they're yeah, doing it was, this while it's fading. It was into entirely this. diegetic. Like was... it was happening. Very weird choice. It's just Wait, like someone... non-diegetic? <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Clay's dream because this was, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, Well, <laughs> yeah, it does show his wife I, blowing a zombie. Yeah, so my immediate note was, what are the others dreaming about? Because we didn't know at this point. I was that... really hoping it was a shared <laughs> dream still. God, that would have been so hard for him to explain (laughs) the the very ending the jump cut at the end i really liked because it's he walks into a bathroom and literally just sees the raggedy man it's the first time we see him Mm -hmm. standing facing a wall with someone about yay level yeah giving him a blowy level (laughs) yeah uh yay (laughs) um (laughs) yes the yay level oh my god uh And the the Raggedy Man turns around and his face is all ripped Mm -hmm. up. And he just kind of laughs. I was like, this is dumb. But then he just like looks really serious and does a quick phone gesture and he wakes up. Yeah. I thought it was effective. Yeah, it was cool. I like Alice is like, oh, in my dream, he was poking me in the neck with a knitting needle, which sounds annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was one thing. I was like, the other's dreams, like that's obviously very tied to his motivation. Why Alice dreams of a knitting needle and Tom dreams of getting hit by a train. Oh, I guess he was a train conductor. Yeah. I didn't catch that. I was like, (laughs) why? (laughs) And then very quickly, and I kind of missed how this happened or how they got there. They're at a restaurant where, in my notes, they meet Denise, Ray, and Dan. (laughs) And Denise is, is not... Picking up what Tom is not laying down, as Ben said. And that was just a great scene. And they all get 
all of them. Maybe not Jordan because we don't really see him. Yeah, he's like sitting uh, on the sidelines. They all get super, super drunk. And Tom tries to say that. Yeah. Yeah, this is the worst part of the movie. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Because they've all had this dream now. Mm -hmm. And they're all drunk and they're talking. Tom shouts to everybody at the bar that Clay drew this guy. That he saw drawings of him on his wall. Yeah, when, when Before we were the in, dreams. Yep. Yeah. Tries to insinuate that he created this guy, <laughs> That's it sounds okay. like. That's what, all right, I and did so, understand that. Yeah, and, and which is why he asks him how the story ends, as though they're acting out a story that he has written. And which is a different Stephen King book, completely. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's fully nothing else from his graphic novel has happened, so there's nothing else... Yeah, it, it's confusing and, like, an unnecessary plot point. Unless they change it to be that's what is happening. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, <laughs> but that's also not what he... Clay says less something to the effect of, a lot of people have drawn the devil. Mm-hmm. That's his response to it. Because when you do see the photos mm-hmm. at the beginning, I was looking for that foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just a... It, I thought it was flag. Yeah. I thought it was like a wizard's hood. You mean flack. Mm. Those flack. are flack. Yes, those are <laughs> flack. Oh, Sleepy Jean, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> I think John Cusack was Sleepy Jean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's a very weird, and it's not touched on later. No, like, that's it's, why it's so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Can I tell you guys, though, my favorite part of the movie is right after this scene. Mm-hmm. Because Clay is talking to Alice and he's he's sketching her yes. a really beautiful picture of her. Yes. God, that's a great scene. And he's he's basically just telling her about his family, what's going on with him and his wife and his separation. And this is the character, this Clay mm-hmm. that we get. And John Cusack is not phoning phoning it in at this moment. This is a Clay I wanted to have in the book. Mm-hmm. He is Ben. You said it. He is self aware. Yeah. I, I turned to, we, we were talking about it, and I turned to him and was like, it's weird having a Stephen King main character that's this self-aware. Because he's very like, wow, I was a piece of shit. Kind of like our discussion with the thinner book. The main character was made a little more likable, I think, to connect with the audience. And so, yeah, Clay in this is great. And then I thought that they were having another dream. I thought, not Denise, the, the, older, <laughs> the horny old lady. Horny old lady. Horny old lady. She wakes up and looks around. Everyone else is sleeping. It's not like the first dream where Clay wakes up and nobody's around him. It's just him alone. And she walks to the door of this restaurant. And I thought she locked it and took the key. But then she hears something and turns around and the key is still there. And that's why I thought it was a dream. But it is not a dream because she puts her her head up to the door. So what happened was... She heard a sound, went to the door, and saw that the door, the key is in there, but the door was unlocked. Oh, so she, she relocked it. Okay. it, left the keys there, turned around, heard the sound again, turned around, and now the door is back unlocked. See, I blinked, so I got very confused <laughs> about what was reality sure. in that. I'm like, well, how did the keys get back in the door if this isn't a dream? Leading to one yeah. of the most effective scares of this entire thing. This legit scared me. Yes. Really? Yeah. yeah I, so, uh, yeah. Clay, Clay wakes up. Well, not scared me, but like gave yeah. me it made the my heart pound. Oh, because it really? did because I didn't catch it immediately. Yeah, Clay wakes up and he notices that she's just standing kind of off by the door, 
in a very creepy way, in a very Blair Witch way. Like, mm-hmm. don't ever just stand with your back to people. And, <laughs> and, and he gets up and he has his gun because he can tell something's off. And he's very quietly approaching her. And it cuts to the front of him. And just very subtly, I thought, behind him, they're just phoners and they're not moving. So you almost don't see them at first. And that's I the part. I didn't see them. That's you why didn't? I was. Oh, oh that's this what was you guys terrifying. reacted to this scene so quickly. <laughs> it's so like powerfully. And I was like, it's a late, she's standing there. And then a guy jumps out and attacks mm-hmm. John Cusack. And I thought it was funny. I didn't see them until all three of them were in frame. Mm-hmm. And that's when, because I just saw the lighting off of one guy's head and I was just like, holy shit, there are people in the darkness. And that's where we find out that in this movie, they don't have to use phones to send out, to continue to send out the signal. They do it with their mouths. A great change. Which it is works, yeah. so creepy in the scene where they're all like fighting and these phoners are holding some guy down and not yelling. Ray. Yeah, not <laughs> Ray. And yelling in his ear and turning him into a phoner. It's so effective. And it's like, whoa, that's a cool change and like really threatening. And then the next thing happens and it's uh. very sad. And then the next thing after that is three characters walking down the road <laughs> with the worst <laughs> oh ADR explaining what just happened. And then a weird fade out. And then, yeah, a super weird fade out. It was like a three second scene that we couldn't hear. Yeah, it was like the movie's throwing to commercial. It's very unfortunate because the thing that happens, I was ready to be like, oh, is this actually a good movie? (laughs) This is a good (laughs) scene. It's a very good scene. So In a bad movie. Yeah. What Ben is talking about is they're still in the restaurant. They're fighting off the phoners. And Alice saves Tom Mm -hmm. by shooting a guy on top of him. And he turns and he goes, Alice, watch out. And not Denise just hits her as hard as you can in the back of the head with a baseball bat. And that is how Alice dies. The the makeup of her eye hemorrhaged as they're driving and the way she whispers her like final it's just mumbled Mm -hmm. her her final words just devastating and really weird that it then cuts to a single shot (laughs) of the raggedy man. His eye was also looked hemorrhaged and I thought in the same way. Yeah. So I thought, oh, are we going to get something where he's communicating through her? Well, we might have. But the sound was so inconsistent in this (laughs) that we couldn't hear what she was saying. I didn't know that that was or was not on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a problem. Which is a problem. Which is a problem. If the other scenes (laughs) that we talked about had been the way they were, I would have thought it was on purpose. And I would have been like, oh, cool. There are many scenes in this movie that would be extremely good if the rest of the movie was made competently. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was also really glad that they took... I was afraid they were going to do Alice's death in the bar mm-hmm. and she was just going to fade away. So I was very, very happy that that next cut was to them mm-hmm. outside. Each of them either is holding a hand or and Clay is like brushing her hair with his fingers. They're yeah. all just they're they're there. And you have that moment where they just have to sit with the pain in the middle of the day because the they can't the afford to shoot. They can't shoot at night. Oh so they they're walking on a road in the mountains, I think, in mm. the snow, and they're saying something. Can't hear what it is. <laughs> and then we cut to them meeting our other, well, I thought three, but it's actually only two. Mm. It's actually Ray and Denise. And we get 
were y'all in agreement? Just the best character. Yes, of the movie? hands down, man. He he was a little too much for me at first until I figured out what was going on with him. Which I think is a great choice. I think that is a great way to develop a character, make them that off-putting and give the audience mm-hmm. that aha moment. And it made him stand out in a way that none of the other characters really stood out to me. Yes. Which was also cool. Because we he's going on like he is on meth. Yes. He is <laughs> just hyped. Bonkers. And you find out that that's because he has not been sleeping because he doesn't want to have the dream. So that's how he's protecting himself. Which is also great because it shows they had their dreams after the first flock kill. And he, Ray basically says, we've killed two. The dreams have never stopped. They continually get worse. So it implies that every time he sleeps, he is getting brought and haunted to by the Raggedy Man. Mm. Whereas these guys, our heroes, just had the one dream and it hasn't happened again. Mm. Yeah, it's so good. I, I The actor's name is Anthony Reynolds. And he's... Also, I was very excited that uh, him and Denise are the only characters in the movie that have a Boston accent. Yes. Which adds <laughs> yeah, so much. Anger. Um, it adds so much anger. They just <laughs> so mad. Uh, but he, he nails every scene mm-hmm. he's in, especially when they're they're driving before he pulls oh over. God. And he is. Oh, first we need to talk about them doing the Michonne. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, CM, you uh, called this plot point. We find out that Denise's brother is a phoner, but they have a bag over his head and they have him tied up. And it's cool because it gives us some some neat exposition about how when the phoners are near, his behavior changes. Otherwise, he's just kind of like a traditional mindless zombie. Mm-hmm. And they figured out, too, that the phoners can see them through his eyes. So that's why they have him bagged up. And she's trying to shove food in his mouth, which is terrifying. I really thought he was going to bite her fingers off. I did too. He does something better. He starts making a weird phone noise when Clay approaches and starts talking and Clay recognizes the voice. And so they're all trying to stop him, but he will not be stopped. He rips the bag off the guy's head. and He's a guy in his 20s and he's speaking with a kid's voice. Yes, and it's Johnny's voice and he says, hi, dad. And That was fucking great. And Tom... Shoots him <laughs> to death as soon as that happens. Yeah, it's, I think that was the best. I, I wouldn't call it a scare. That's the best piece of world building in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, it's that creative. is, yes, it, it, that is a scene that if they adapted this into a TV show, mm-hmm. that would be a major. Uh, be the cliffhanger. A major thing. Mm-hmm. It would be an ongoing thing of using phoners as radar. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a cool idea. So let's talk about, yeah, they're they're driving. And <laughs> you think it's a comedy moment at first because <laughs> Ray is mumbling to himself. And this is an actual mumble. We are, I don't mm-hmm. think we're supposed to hear what he says. <laughs> and Clay's kind of looking at him like, you okay, Ray? And he stops and he gets out of the truck and he walks up the hill and he looks back at Clay. And then he keeps walking. Clay is not picking it up. <laughs> and he, he looks back at him again and he makes the head nod motion like, follow me. And let's talk about this scene. It's so crazy mm-hmm. because Clay is trying to talk him down, knowing that he has not slept in a week because this is where he's saying he comes to me when I'm sleeping and it gets worse and worse. And, and he's hearing voices. He's hearing he's voices awake. now. He's seeing things now. <laughs> and Clay's like, 
You think maybe it's because you haven't slept in a week that <laughs> might be giving you hallucinations? Which is cool Someone because Someone a grumpy that's... boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's neat because that's a really valid argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we as the viewer don't know if the powers in this movie include those things like mm-hmm. while they're awake or if he is just hallucinating. <laughs> and he pulls the phone with a piece of paper rubber banded to it, tosses it to Clay and he says something to the effect of they think I'm the end, but you're the end. Take this, call the number when the time comes. And he's like, when the time? When's the time? At the end. Duh. <laughs> yeah, of course. But the whole time, Clay's keeps saying, hey, what's around your neck? And we just see these wires sticking out of under his jacket. And he grabs the detonator and he's like, oh, this is going to blow my mind. Better step back. <laughs> the dumbest line. <laughs> Stephen King fucking wrote that and then put his legs up oh, on his yeah. desk. He pulled I that guy too. pulled it off though. I, he, I appreciated it coming thing. out of his mouth. <laughs> Yet he blows himself up. And then very quickly, we are at Clay's house. What what's <laughs> Right? Did I did I I don't I know. I, yeah. I think I went to the bathroom at that yeah, point. So they, they pulled to Clay's oh, house. Yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. of the moment that's coming up in a little bit. Oh yeah, they're they're at Clay's house. He's like, I gotta go in by myself. I gotta do this by myself. Sure. He walks through the house, he's calling for his family, sees the note that Johnny left on the fridge using the the magnetic letters. Yeah, he's written it using com- completely using uh, magnet letters, like there's no mm-hmm. paper. And what did, uh, was it you that said, he's not that tall? Oh no, Josh no, said Josh, Josh <laughs> said. I was the one who said, he probably used a chair. <laughs> I have a theory. Oh. He didn't write it. A phoner did. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah. Because they're trying to lure him into this trap and we know that the raggedy man's in the house or no not the raggedy man but we know there's a phoner in the house yeah Yeah. so yeah i think johnny just didn't write it he didn't that's it yeah that because we we never get any other notes from him Mm -hmm. or anything it's wow yeah he's already a phoner all right so clay go he hears something in the attic he's he's in johnny's room for some reason he goes up there to look for i don't know what and Ben, you pointed out that the boat picture from 1408 yep. is on Johnny's wall. Looking very out of place. So here's something in the attic. He goes up there. He opens a closet door in the attic. Yeah, this big. What is that room? <laughs> the, it's like a broom closet in the attic. Yeah. Convenient. Sure. He's got a real big house. I, I'm he not does have a big house. And out pops in a jump scare, the raggedy man. And so there's a fight and he's trying to beat him off. And then, you know what I mean? And then Tom, <laughs> To get vengeance from what happened in his dream. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah. his wife like, beat him to it. Hey! Oh. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> Tom shows up and saves the day. And it's not the Raggedy Man. It's actually Sharon. And he shows no... Emo- he's very book clay in this moment. We, pretty much other than that one scene with Alice. The yeah, rest of the true. book... There's not much emotion. Mm-hmm. It is no. very wooden John Cusack face. He seemed kind of angry most of the time. Yeah. Like the person, not the character. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Clay sitting at his kitchen table, mourning his wife, maybe. And he's <laughs> looking at the phone in the note. And Tom's like, what's that? And he explains it to him. And I think Josh. Uh, or, it, was ben. it was Ben. Ben was like. Oh, Tom's smart. And then the very next scene we cut to, he's opening, they're in an ice cream truck. He's it's opening great. the A great reference the to the beginning of the book. Yeah. 
And tons of explosives <laughs> in the ice cream truck. Yeah, and, and Tom immediately ruins whatever leg up they had <laughs> by being like, hey, everybody, check out these explosives in this truck. Crazy, right? Probably shouldn't think about it. To be fair, telepaths. they haven't so much been telepathic in the aggressive way they were in the book. Because yeah. Ray doesn't blow himself up so that they don't read his mind. He blows himself up because he has lost his mind. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's it's what I thought. So that too. they re- didn't. Oh, okay. No, because he, he says he he's hearing their voices mm-hmm. and he's losing it. So yeah. I think he just can't do it. He knows he can't do it. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. But still so dramatic to blow yourself up. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, what a drama queen. (laughs) Okay, we're at the end of the movie because Tom and Jordan and Denise go off and Clay does the whole spray paint, you know, message for me. I'll come find you guys. We don't, of course, get that scene where they split off and then they're drawn back (laughs) because we're not doing that mind control stuff. And And no levitation. No levitation, no. Well, I'm glad. How great would it have been if after the, it's the boat scene. I kept wanting them as they're hiding oh, out of the boat, all of yeah. their feet to just lift <laughs> off the ground. Cool. This just the way this movie looks at the end was a little rough, but I do like the sound because they did build up this. I thought it was thunder where he's driving. He, he's going to Nofo Zone to get a son <laughs> and blow stuff up. We didn't talk about in the early episodes how fucking stupid that. Was. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan even says. What does no phone mean? Jordan's like, maybe it means no phone. Oh, good one. Yeah. Why, though? <laughs> well, because that's the no signal thing is not a thing in this. They are mm-hmm. traveling to the biggest signal. Yeah, they they yeah. the twist is that in this that cash whack, they had a casino built and now they have the uh, Eiffel cell Tower time. of cell the time. world's yes. largest cell phone tower. Well, so he he finds this thing because he's we get a scene of him stopping the truck and he looks very like confused or as confused as John Cusack could muster looking. <laughs> and you hear this thunderous noise and it's dark or it's supposed to be dark. It's very dark. It is kind of hard dark. to tell what's going on. And you think, okay, maybe there's a storm coming. Maybe that's going to interfere with the signal. Like that's what I was thinking. Like, Oh, he's going to try to, to dial it, but he's not going to get a signal because the storm is interfering. No, we come upon thousands of phoners weirdly I don't want to it's stampeding but it was mm-hmm. very shuffly yeah in a circle around this cell tower it looks so cool from a distance <laughs> and so hilariously dumb <laughs> up close yes because they're packed like touching like so crammed together and they're literally just like shuffling their feet there were a lot of what felt like green screen moments. Oh, this, this whole final last scene. part is all green screen. It was, I did like when he gently drives the truck, the ice cream <laughs> truck through the crowd into, you know, closer to the cell tower. Yeah, and they all just bump into the side of it. It's so good. It, it's I thought he was going to run them over because they definitely did that earlier. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we're we're willing to do this and we have the budget for it. No. They <laughs> just gently move aside and he comes to a stop and he sees in front of him at the base of the cell tower the raggedy man. Sorry, who? I'm sorry, the president of the internet, Thank you. as he is called in this movie. But why? unironically. <laughs> but why? I missed why he's there's, a there's No, they no, don't explain. They don't. Oh. Ray's the one who calls him that. Oh, Ray's for crazy. no point. Okay. <laughs> but the, the name The Raggedy Man exists. I mean, I get you can't call him the president of Harvard, because I'm sure Harvard wouldn't want to sign off on, <laughs> yeah, on that character villain. design. 
But Raggedy Man is a name that we have. And he looks raggedy, so it would And worked. on IMDb, the character is listed as raggedy. That, that's it. <laughs> oh, Just huh. raggedy. Huh. All right. Who knows? So he hits him with his ice cream truck. Which is fucking hilarious. I, I can't... It, you have to see this scene. Because, <laughs> Sam, you're right. It yeah. is all such bad green screen. It looked like no one was in the same scene as anyone else. It looks like a DC movie fight scene. Yeah. It is it takes place in a giant enormous <laughs> flat space that does not exist. It looks like the wastelands. What yeah, I imagine it, them looking like. It looks like nothing. Mm-hmm. And there's this impossibly tall cell tower and these thousands of people and he drives an ice cream truck through them. And it looks, it just looks like he's driving through a warehouse. It's so <laughs> weird. And Ray has posited that if you kill the president of the internet, they'll all scatter and go crazy. Which is nonsense. So John Cusack hits him with the ice cream truck, walks over, fires about three rounds <laughs> into him, then kicks him in the head, and then, and then fires, fires four more rounds. <laughs> that was fun. I liked that. Just making sure. And then he goes into the crowd like the worst possible way looking for Johnny. So it starts off funny because he wades through the crowd just rifle butting people to get (laughs) them out of his way. But slowly the stream of them overwhelms him and he starts getting trampled and loses his gun and has to army crawl out of the loop. And fortunately for him, when he army crawls out, there's Johnny. And the Raggedy Man is not dead, by the way. I don't remember and when it happened. And doesn't have any gunshot wounds. He's totally fine. Yeah, he's fine. Which I didn't pick up on at first, mm-hmm. but he was making him think he shot him, but he never shot him. Because we didn't really get that mind control stuff, but I guess we have it at the very end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, the problem of having the writer yeah. adapt and summarize. Because that is really cool, and I like the way they ended it. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we'd had that thread throughout it. It would have had a bigger impact because all it did, honestly, was confuse the shit out of me until I put book stuff and movie stuff together. Yeah. It, well, here's my takeaway. What I got from this ending is that pretty much everything up to the point, like when he crests the hill and sees the crowd, I think that's the last thing that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because what happens is he he's hit the raggedy man. He's crawled through and he crawls out and his son is there and he crawls over to his son and is like shaking him and he's like Johnny and Johnny looks up and you know something's wrong and it cuts it shows all these phoners around him staring up at the tower and screaming and then the raggedy man pops up from behind the car and starts screaming and Johnny's screaming and John Cusack pulls out the phone and dials the number and hits it and vaporizes everything including himself including himself and his son you're like oh shit well okay i mean that's definitely a departure but also we get the hilarious far shot of the explosion and the tower falling and the cgi is really bad bad. but then it jump cuts to a sunny day john cusack and his son walking through the woods by a tree labeled tdj and you're like "Hmm." i thought it was like his brain fight like his last he was just having a a nice dream before he died not to plagiarize a more popular and better podcast but it's a jacob's ladder scenario oh yeah Uh, yeah 
Shout out. We've talked about that before on ours, though. Yeah, we have plagiarized Jason Mantzoukas <laughs> before. <laughs> Just to get him on the show, and he will not come. Zooks. So yeah, I, I believe that after he crests the hill, he does all this. There's no way he is not turned. I thought of this when, during the scene where we find out that they can turn people. Mm-hmm. Because they hold these people down and they emit this noise and drives them crazy. Well, the rest of our characters are in the same room. And I was like, well, if you just have to hear the noise, mm. why are they not turning? Why is it directional, like out of these people's mouths? And in this scene, when he's literally wading through thousands of phoners screaming at the base of this huge t- cell tower that you assume is like amplifying the signal. So I just kept thinking, I'm like, there's no way he's definitely turned. And at the end of the movie, after this explosion, after you see them walking to Canada, I guess, (laughs) it then goes back to the tower, untouched, unfallen, unexploded. And John Cusack is marching through the crowd with the phoners. But we do see that the ice cream truck is in the inside of that circle. So we know that up to that point point is where it had to have happened. Well, because I I really like your theory, Ben, Mm -hmm. actually better. But I... I can't get on board with it only because when they're holding down not Ray in the bar, they it seems like they were establishing that it does have to be direct. direct. So mm. they wouldn't have it. Otherwise, they why even fight him? Why not just, once they were inside, just start just, emitting yeah, noise? Yelling. It wouldn't matter. Mm. But I do like that. That would have been a cool way to do the movie. So that is that is it. That's the movie. <laughs> I was the, hoping I'd know by now how I felt about it. <laughs> uh, the one question that has been plaguing me since we finished watching it isn't the ending. It's why did they show the raggedy man having a pair of dice? No one's going to get that. No, it's not. I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, he gets shot and then there's, they show raggedy man laying there with his arms stretched out and there's just two pairs of dice. Oh, just I sitting. missed that. Part. No, why that's why you, I, I thought you were joking. No, yeah, I thought you were just making an "I think you should leave" reference. <laughs> no, I was because I saw two pairs of dice. Oh, there's just two white, uh, two white six sided dice. Maybe just out. Uh, just, it was a very weird. It's a game of chance. I. It, that's what. It oh no, no, I thought no, the Sam got it. Fedora with <laughs> safari flaps in back is weirder. But <laughs> all right, what did you? Uh, what did you guys think of this movie? After watching this movie, I don't even want to be around anymore. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, you watch that. There is a subset of people that are going to be very happy about that. Anyway, (laughs) it was all right. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I'm going to say the same thing. I think I said about the book, which Mm -hmm. better than I remembered. Not good, (laughs) but kind of fun. I, I, I don't think it's as fun without you guys. Right. <laughs> so uh, I would suggest if you are going to read or watch this movie, definitely do it with friends. I'll give uh, give it a, a solid three out of five blue chambray shirts. This movie was not as bad as everyone says it is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just properly lowered my expectations. <laughs> so I was not as, as miserable. I think that's definitely a part <laughs> of it. The only thing that bothered me about it, it, it wasn't bad enough to keep me engaged Throughout, I kind of wanted it to be over. I was like, okay, yeah. and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to record and like be done with this. <laughs> so just for that reason, I'm not going to rate it as high as I normally would a you know bad horror movie that I can have fun watching because it was definitely fun watching with you guys. I'm going to give it three out of five blue chambray shirts. Yeah. 
I like the the condensed storytelling. I like the pace. I loved the action set piece in the airport. That was wild yeah. as hell. But the whole movie pretty much goes downhill from the very beginning. It just gets more. Huh, all right. Samuel Jackson eats up the scenery, which mm-hmm. is great. But overall, yeah, I, I found myself getting bored. And if I were to ever revisit this, it would be to show someone clips that I thought were cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it three out of five blue chambray shirts. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering our next Patreon selection from Lisa Khan, Dreamcatcher, and we will be reading through part one. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, don't be sorry because there is nothing to be sorry about yet. everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Cell Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. Before I get to the haiku, just a reminder of all the places you can keep up with us. Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. Or you can send us an email. We love hearing from you and knowing how you guys feel about the books too. Don't forget to follow us on our Patreon because we post early and bonus stuff there every month. And this month, we'll be covering some short stories from Joe Hill's 20th Century Ghosts. So if that sounds good to you, sign up for our $5 tier and up. Download all of our episodes and then cancel. Leave us all alone. Seriously, though, Patreon is for you guys, so you do what you want with it. We won't judge. We also have merchandise on our Etsy store. Search Dairy Public Radio. There's stuff specific to our podcast and some general Stephen King stuff on there, too. And we're always looking to add more things. So if you see a design you like, but we don't have it on the product you want, tell us and we will make it just for you. Okay, here's the cell haiku. Ringing in your ears. Turns out it's better without you. We have become new. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.